0: Hi there, Taylor Hemnes here from 41 Action News with another episode of Faith in KC. Really glad to bring you another episode of this series. Hope you've been taking part and following along, all of you that have, and sending your comments. I really appreciate that. We hope to continue bringing you this series uh, for as long as possible. Today's episode is powerful. I will tell you that now. Uh, There are are people in Kansas City, um, even myself included on that list, but far down the list, uh, that are well known, the the public figures, so to speak, uh, the people that you just know who they are. We've got a, a building full of them here at 41 Action News that if you were to see them walking down the street, you would know who that person is. Um, my guest today is not one of those people, but she a thousand percent should be. Her name is Bobby Joe Reed. She is the founder of Healing House here in Kansas City. And she has a story that is... Um, I, I don't have the words. I have a lot of words, and I don't have the words for what her story is. I want to tell you about it briefly because we're going to reference some of it in this conversation, um, but not necessarily flesh it all out. She says that she was—she had her first drink at 12 years old, became an alcoholic by 13. Uh, and at a very young age, she was... Um, doing things that someone her age or really not even older than her should be doing. She was drinking, she was partying, she was doing drugs. Uh, She chose a lifestyle that resulted in crime. Uh, It resulted in prostitution. It resulted in her being raped. And as a result of one of those rapes, basically left for dead on the streets of Kansas City. She was homeless, literally living under 18-wheeler trailers. And she was in a situation more than once that I think most people who watch this could never fathom themselves being in. And she was there for a long time and for many times. She She found faith. She sobered up, and the circumstances of that you'll hear about in this in this episode. And she started Healing House with the goal of helping 10 women because as a woman she knew exactly what they were going through and felt that there was not enough resources for people who had been through what she for women who'd been through what she'd been through. To she wanted to find a place to to help 10 women. Flash forward several years since then, right now there are more than 200 men, women, and children living under her care at Healing House at their multiple locations. And she has helped and her organization has helped literally thousands of people over the years that have come through, stayed there, and gotten past an addiction. Some of them have lived there for years. Um, That documentary or a documentary about her life is out right now. It's called bobby joe under the influence you can find it uh for rent on places like itunes uh prime video i think it's like 3.99 or 4.99 to rent less than 10 bucks if you want to buy it and you should um it's about an hour and a half long and it's i'll tell you I, I cried all through i and that's that's not hyperbole i i cried for different reasons at different points all through my viewing of that documentary And then I did during this conversation, too. Um, I just—I can't get my mind around being through what she's been through and then having the strength to do what she does. I I tell her in this conversation that I don't know if I'll ever have a faith like hers because of what she's been through, and she puts it all on God, and that's why she's the, the guest of this episode. Um, I wish we could play the entire documentary. Uh, That's why I'm encouraging you to go rent it and and to listen to it, buy it, by all means. Um, Because we can't go through that entire storyline through this conversation. Uh, Because she's a very busy lady and she was very, very kind to give me just the time she gave me. But I hope you'll enjoy this episode for what it is, for what it means, for what it can be. And... I really hope it moves you um, and, frankly, inspires or influences you the way that uh, I hope that it has me. Um, I should say uh, there's another podcast that we produce here at 41 Action News in addition to 41 Files, which you may be listening on to this episode right now it's called screen on the spot it's about movies and television and the makers of the documentary are this week's guests on screen on the spot uh so they're a pair of kansas city filmmakers that that made this film go listen to screen on the spot after you listen to this and hear about the making of the actual film and what that process was like um if you have comments thoughts questions as always you can reach out to me on facebook twitter instagram you can email me at taylor.him this at com and let me know what you think about this series or people we should reach out to um I just can't tell you how much I hope you you listen to this entire conversation. And um, I hope that Bobby Joe is one day someone who can walk down the streets of Kansas City and everyone will know who she is because everyone should know who she is and what she's doing. I want to welcome Miss Bobby Joe Reed uh, to Faith in KC today. Uh, Bobby Joe, thank you for taking the time out today. I told you before we started recording, I am. Hoping to get through today's episode without crying, but I make no promises because okay. I, I know you've got uh, an incredible story. So thank you for taking some time out today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here.
0: <clears throat> so I I want to start with this. Um, what is what is faith to you? What does it mean to you? What is it to you? what What do you? How do you describe what faith is in your life?
1: It's just a knowing. Knowing God and knowing that he's in charge, um, it's just a complete awareness that God is at work in my life and that I uh, trust that with every step of the way. I trust in him every step of the way.
0: That hasn't always been there for you, though.
1: Oh, no, no, of course not. No,
0: Um, we're going to talk at length today about um, and 41 Action News reporter Charlie Keegan did a story uh, last fall. There's a new documentary about Bobby Joe. It's called Under the Influence. That's out right now, and I'm I'm hoping to be able to show some clips of this uh, during this interview. Um, But if you're not familiar, uh, Bobby Joe operates an organization called Healing House. uh, And there, how many how many spots do you have now? How many homes and apartments do you have now?
1: Uh, 14 homes, 30 apartments, um, and then some commercial buildings for admin building and a, a recovery community center and so it's pretty big. Yeah, I don't know when this happened, but I'm just glad I'm there for the ride. <laughs> um,
0: Bob and Joe, I think a lot of people during the last 12 months, thanks to COVID, have experienced low points uh, in, in their lives. Um, your low point was not COVID-related. Um, for the people that are not familiar with you or your story or haven't seen the documentary, what, would, what do you call the, the low point of your life?
1: Um, I went through a lot of horrific things during my addiction, but I think the big uh, big eye-opener, if that's the term you want to use, was when uh, my dad passed away, and um, he was always my hero, and I always wanted to, him to be really proud of me, and he passed away, and uh, I got sober a month later to the date of him passing. Uh, it was just such a big shock to lose to lose him, and uh, I don't know why, but that triggered something in me because I had had a a lot of horrific bottoms prior to that, but something about this sparked this change in me, and so um, yeah, he's I got sober a month to the day of him leaving this earth.
0: You've shared your story, not just in the documentary, but um, among groups. You talk to people on a regular basis. You've gone through alcohol addiction and yes. drug addiction. Um, you've been raped. Yes. Prostitution. Yep. Um, lows that I think most people, thank God, uh, will never, ever experience.
1: Right.
0: Um, when you When you deliver stories of your life to people and you reach out to people, um, you're talking to different audiences. Sometimes you're talking to people who have been through a lot of this homelessness and, and a lot of the same things that you have been through. Right. And I'm sure you also talk to people who have no concept of anything like that. Um, how do you, how do you, do you change your message at all? Do you, I mean, obviously the stories aren't different, but how do you, how do you approach audiences who have lived through what you've lived through and audiences who have not?
1: Of course, people that have lived through what I've experienced, uh, I can kind of let my hair down and just speak openly because they get it, they understand. Many of the folks that have had addictions have have had the same experiences. Uh, when I go and I talk to younger people, um, like at churches and different things like that, I try to tone it down some so it's not quite uh, so brutal. Of course, I. You know, I think it's an important message for all though. And yes, there is content in the documentary that that, um, that some people might shudder at, you know, or think, oh gosh, I shouldn't let my young person. But usually there's statistics that show that uh, there's a lot of kids that have used drugs and alcohol before they're 17 years old. So uh, I don't think it's gonna be, I think this is a documentary that people can show to their teenagers, for sure. Uh, but I try to uh, when I'm in church, I, a church setting, I try not to get as graphic as maybe I would in a recovery setting. And, but the story's still the same. When I wrote my book a few years ago, <clears throat> my brother came to me and said, sis, I, I think this, this part might really embarrass the family. And so I was conscientious about that, but also I came from a family of secrets. And so you didn't talk about, you show the world one picture and behind the doors is a complete different picture. And for me, it was important that I was able to share the truth and do it honestly. I'm not trying to embarrass any family members or anything like that, but my my life is my truth. And um, so I tried to keep it as uh, real as I could.
0: I hope you don't mind us talking about some of the details here that you, you, you discuss, and I, I, like I told you before we started reporting, I've made it about halfway through the documentary. I've watched the first half so far, and um, you detail in that, that you had an abortion at a young age after you were a victim of rape, and that you talk about that, I believe your brother came and got you after that was done, and you never said another word about it when you got home. Nobody talked about, so to your point about having a family of secrets, that's, I think, a pretty ironclad example of that. Um, my, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. We talk about this almost every episode. I, I was raised in the church. My family and I, uh, attend church as often as we possibly can with COVID. It's been funky. We've been in and out a little bit more. Um, but I've never experienced anything like, like what you've experienced in your life. I've had a pretty relatively blessed, carefree kind of, kind of life, right? especially compared to you. Um, how how do you think the worst parts of life can and do affect a faith? I mean, is it is it just? I don't know that I can say I'll ever have a faith quite like yours because you've you've lived through what you lived through. How do you how do you describe how how life affects faith?
1: I had to. I was at. Uh, I was at a real jumping off place. And it was like I had to do something. I was in a 12-step program. Uh, I had worked all the 12 steps. I was helping people. I was doing a lot of things in my recovery. And yet this void came back at the center of my being. And I believe we're all i believe we're all created with a God hole in the center of our being. And for me, I rejected that from the beginning. I wanted to really... Uh, my parents didn't go to church. We didn't talk about faith. We really didn't talk about God. So I just had no understanding of God at all. So uh, for me and for most of us, if we don't learn about God early on, we start trying to stuff things in our God hole, right? So me, you know, and for the, think about a baby, an infant, and the baby cries to get attention or to get held or to get fed. And so you cry out for this and you're wanting something to make you feel, okay, later on, it could be a bicycle or tricycle or a little boyfriend or girlfriend. And the newness of everything eventually wears off, right? The uh, bike gets a flat tire or if it's a car, the car gets wrecked or, you know, so we try to stuff things in this god hole our whole life. And mine, unfortunately, was alcohol, drugs, men, um, uh, just... You know, I ran through my whole life trying to numb the pain. And I think that we're lost without faith. Uh, You know, I think about the Israelites and how they stumbled around out there for 40 years. I almost caught up to them. (laughs) But uh, without gaining my faith, I would not have remained drug and alcohol free. It has been the very thing, the thing that I just blew off, you know, if church people come around, I just kind of blow them off. I didn't want nothing to do with it. But uh, actually, my my huge turning point was uh, my mom passed away three and a half years after my dad did. And I had, was living in a house. I had three roommates. Two of those roommates had relapsed and me and my boyfriend were still living there. And um I was out getting the urn for my mother's ashes on New Year's Eve, and I had started going to this church with my boyfriend, and I came home with the urn, and he was gone. There was nobody in the house, and so uh, I went to the little church we had been attending because we were supposed to do a New Year's Eve get-together, and when I got there, he was not there, and I remember it felt like my heart dropped down in my gut. And uh, always before, when I had experienced loss, I had something to anesthetize myself with my booze, my drugs, my something. And this time I didn't have any of that. So I went back home to my house that was empty except me, the cat, and the dog. And I cried out to God and I asked Him not to let me go back to where I came from and to just lead and direct me. And, you know, that's the most humble humble prayer i had ever done in my life. And I fell asleep praying and crying. And when I woke up January 1st of 1999, the Holy Spirit had taken up residence in me. A wretch like me, right? And Amazing Grace is my theme song, I'll tell you that. But, um, and the fear that had been with me for 30 some years, the fear was gone. And I didn't have to operate in fear anymore. And he started leading and directing my my feet, my path, my thinking, everything. And I mean, that sounds kind of crazy to a lot of people that you could go to sleep praying and the next day you could be a a different person. Now, not to say that everything fell off me that very day. I still kind of tried to get my will in there, but God was really in charge and he did start directing my journey and the fear had been removed. And just amazing and things that had held me captive for years I was able to walk away from bad relationships you know chaos drama I was just I was done with it and uh, so I trust God doesn't speak to me audibly but God speaks to my heart and God shows continues to show me what's next what's next this is what you're going to do and you know it was easy when God just put that on my heart and I could take action but now I got a board of directors <laughs> so now I have to say okay God put this on my heart what about you guys <laughs> but they really kind of uh, as a board they've kind of seen my vi- my vision is in tune with what God wants and we try to make it happen when it comes to me because um, it's so much more than providing a home for people. It's so much more than housing someone. It's much, much deeper than that. It's, you know, mental, spiritual, and physical, and physical is the easiest to fix. Now we got to change our thinking, our feelings, and we have to have faith in a power greater than ourself.
0: You You mentioned the that you when you were a child you you didn't go to church very much and that wasn't a part of your family you 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 mentioned in your documentary and your story that your first drink was, was when you were 12 years old i believe is when you first started drinking yes um so you wouldn't say that faith and spirituality was something that you left and came back to it, they, no. because there are there are people that have that situation that are raised in the church and then leave and then later on come back to it with a, dif- a different type of personality that's not the case for you
1: no absolutely not but At Healing House, I have had many, many people come through that as a child or early on, they did go to church, but then they left the church or they had hard feelings and left the church. We're a faith-based organization, but that doesn't mean that you have to be a Christian to walk in the doors. You know, uh, Jesus meets people right where they're at, right? Right. And so I don't have to convince somebody to become a Christian. My, my walk, I hope people come to Christ by watching what I do on a daily basis and want what I have, because until I found this intimate relationship with Christ and God, I still, even though I was not drinking or drugging, I still was uncomfortable in my own skin. And so, uh, no, I, you know What? Many people come to us that that are not people of faith, yeah. but it is almost impossible to be here and not start having a faith journey because you see miracles every day.
0: Um, again, the here is the healing house. Bobby Joe mentioned there at the beginning how many different houses that you have have gone through over the years and you you tell the story about how you. Uh, each one kind of has come to be, starting with that first one that was a wreck whenever you first bought it, um, <laughs> with $50,000 that <laughs> you came right out of the bank, your last $50,000 for your name, it's an amazing story. Yeah. And so now you you work to provide a place for people who have been through the same thing that you have been through, so they don't have to be living under boxcars like you live for a while and and have no place to go. Do you, um, do you encounter one-on-one every person that comes to be in these houses?
1: Yes. Yes, there's, uh, currently we have 200 people living here, Wow. and we have 30 children. We have rehabbed uh, 13 houses. We have 14 going. We have the apartments. And so what happens is people come to us, many come right off the street um, from a detox, some from prison, some from jail. Uh, They come from everywhere. And so as soon as they get here, you know, we help them out with hygiene products. We've got a clothing pantry. We help them get, most of our folks come and they don't have an ID, social security card, none of that. They have everything they own in a price chopper sack. So we start and tell people, we build people from the ground up and that's the truth. And then they come in, we do intakes. We find out where they're at psychologically. We're a peer ran organization. So we're not a classical treatment center. And I love that we're peer ran. So we have 41 employees. And 39 of the 41 have came through our program, and now they work here. So most of the people that live here can totally understand where everybody's at in in their recovery journey. And so uh, it's not just housing, like in the movie. It said, you know, I thought I was going to help 10 women stay sober every year, and and that <laughs> now it's a lot more than that. But. Uh, I have trusted in God. We've taken abandoned houses and drug houses in our community, and we fixed them up and made them into beautiful homes for people in recovery. But it's not just the house. What works is the family element. When COVID is not happening, we would all come together at 5 o'clock in the evening, uh, pray, eat dinner together, sit around and talk about our day. You know, what I tried to do is create a family like I always wanted that you would sit and talk over dinner, have family game night. We would go camping and go on, uh, do things together as a group. And so we help people with everything. I mean, I've had grown women come here that have had three kids that don't know how to operate a washing machine. They don't know how to cook or budget or clean or, I mean, pardon me they get all the life skills that they possibly could need what we're trying to do it's not a handout it's a hand up and it 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 prepares people to have purposeful lives when they leave from us there is no exit date though I've got one little girl that's been here 13 years with me and we're the only family she's ever known and so there is no exit date to the body of Christ not that I'm aware of (laughs) and uh, that's what it is here, a big family, and that's why we have the success we do, and everybody calls me mom. That's not mandated, but (laughs) I've had people say, I'm not going to call you mom. You're not my mom. I'm like, okay, honey, call me whatever, and within a couple weeks, they're calling me mom because I am definitely the mom around here, And I tell people I have this huge dysfunctional family, but the very cool thing about my family is we're all trying to get better. Each and every one of us. So I hope that answered. I'm sorry. I'm
0: curious about, I mean, because when you've got that many, and, and to your point, obviously you've got people that have come to you and somewhere along the journey, they've walked away from a faith Mm -hmm. uh, relationship or they were raised in a faith relationship and have, and have left it potentially, or have, forgotten it in some cases. Do you, do you lead with that when you encounter people maybe for the first time? How, how early on, because obviously you've got a a powerful, powerful story that you can share with people and you can literally say, I have been right where you are right now. And you can lead with that if you chose, if you so choose, where do you, where do you insert your, your faith story into these conversations with people when they come to Healing House?
1: Um, at the very beginning, there's yeah. no secret that we're a faith-based organization. And so there, we have, uh, a, several different spiritual enhancing activities. So we have Bible studies. We have something called alpha, which is a beginner's Christianity. Um, we attend church on Sunday. Um, if people don't want to do that, we have a, Other opportunities for them that could be a time where they study whatever that they'd like to study. We don't do Wiccan or anything like that. So but people know very right off the bat. We are faith based home Christian. There's not a religion attached to us except we're Christ followers. We love the Lord. And so they know that from the minute they get here now. Um, if somebody says, well, I'm an atheist, you know, I tell them, okay, that's, I'm like this. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> because you're not going to be when you leave here. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, here's the thing. I've nev- never met an atheist, anybody that has long-term recovery that's an atheist. I haven't. And no. I've been around a fellowship for 25 years. And I've never met somebody with long-term recovery that does not have a relationship with God. So that's proof in itself. But uh, what we try to do is, especially down with the documentary, at the newcomer's house, they take turns watching the documentary so they can get to know me uh, even closer. You know, I'm running in and out. I'm a busy woman. I do know what's going on. Uh, My house leaders and me meet and talk daily about what's going on in their individual houses. So each house has a house mom or a house dad. So they oversee uh, all the day-to-day things going on in their home. But, <clears throat> I mean, faith is very clear at the beginning. And um, we don't shove it down people's throat. But here's the thing. My mom used to say that the proof is in the pud- pudding, right? Hmm. The proof's in the pudding. So after they're here for a while, there. I mean, I've seen people totally transform, and 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 accept faith. I this is this is um, even bigger than that. We've had people come here that have grabbed on and and to a relationship with God, but then we've also had family members. So say little Johnny. We'll use John as an example. So mm-hmm. Johnny comes here. He becomes a Christian, and his family are not people of faith, right? But they see that Johnny has changed, and so they know it has to be a miracle that their son changed. And so even the parents, siblings of that person have came to faith because they've seen the miraculous thing that happened in Johnny's life.
0: I think that people of great- faith. Yeah, it's, it sounds that way. I, I think the people of faith and I, I feel pretty confident this is the case because it happens for me can be, um, paralyzed is too strong a word, but really bracketed by pressure of maintaining that faith and pressure of maintaining a certain lifestyle. And there are obviously some religions and some faith practices out there that are, that deal with guilt and sin, um, differently than others you know I've, I've never been to a confession booth i, I i'm but absolutely there are people that, that have and that um, uh, look forward to that i'm curious about i know what i feel as a as a person of faith that pressure sometimes of trying to maintain that part of my life
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you have the number of people who are depending on you and your organization and i think it's fair to say that you feel like God has brought you this far yes. and you wouldn't be there where you are right now without that part of your life. Do you feel pressure to maintain to do you feel any kind of I don't know if this is if this is something I can do every day.
1: Oh, absolutely not. No. This is um uh, this is me. This is me. Uh I'm a person God created me. God created me to do exactly what I'm doing today. There's no doubt in my mind, 100%. And it's it's not work. It's not pressure. It's just what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, if you ever get in a position where you're doing, when you're serving God as a job or whatever, that, that you're helping people, it's not a job anymore. And it's just my life. And, you know, I've devoted... My entire life to this work. Um, I don't, I'm a single woman. I don't go out on dates. I don't really have a social life. Um, This is what I was spared for. And after you see my story, you know I shouldn't be around anymore. And uh, there were hundreds of times that I should have been dead, but God spared my life. And it's for and you know what, I have credibility to people, that other people that have addictions because of my life. So when I talk to them about what they're going through or have been through, you know, guilt, shame, remorse, pain, all that stuff is like tie, putting cinder blocks, duct tape and cinder blocks to your feet and going for a swim, right? Jesus came to wash us clean. Yes, you mentioned, you know, i had had abortion when I was younger. And, and that even added to my um, to my getting worse and worse in my addiction because I thought, I don't know God, but I know I'm going to hell now for sure. And many of the people that come through our doors don't feel that they're worthy of a relationship with God. They just don't, you know. We think we've been too bad, liar, cheats, thieves, prostitutes, What? God don't want nothing to do with somebody like me and for them to really hear the good news that Christ died for our sins and you're washed clean. And that sin is put on back. That's, I'll tell you what, that is so freeing when they talk, I never got what they were talking about when they said born again, Christians, Hmm. Uh, I get it, man. And I'll tell you what, some of us born again, Christians are on fire because it's, I mean, it just touches your life in such an impactful way, what God has taken you from and where he's placed you now and what he's doing in your life. Man, we're on fire. I'm on fire every day about serving God. And I'm I love my life. And I could have never in a million years dreamed up the life that I have today. It's all a gift from God. Have I been, have I Decided to shoot up, uh, suit up, and show up every day? Absolutely. Are some days rough? Yes. I just found out this morning that two of our different houses, the pipes burst in last night. Oh, no. Frozen burst. So, I mean, there's always something going on. We have all these old homes. Uh, but I mean, God always makes a way. He always makes a way. I don't have to get frantic about stuff anymore because I know He's right here with me. And I trust in that every single day, and I feel His presence. So when you're walking with the Holy Spirit in your life, things get easier. I yeah, I don't feel under pressure very often.
0: I think addiction is um, an incredibly difficult thing to explain to people who who don't have it and have right. never around it, had a family member with that have struggled with addiction to anything. Yes. Um, and it it seems to be to be something that walks hand in hand with faith on a regular basis, because it seems to me that it's something that so many people, whether very publicly like you or very quietly deal with it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you describe addiction to people that maybe don't have any experience with it or at least maintain they don't have any experience? How, how do you explain to people this is what this feels like
1: Thank you for opening up the door for that um, you know none of us to well at early on we we are making the choice to drink or to do drugs and, yeah. and in the beginning that's absolutely the truth but after it's like some people the first time I drank I I thought, man, this is what I've been missing all this time. This is what I need to make me feel okay inside my own skin. And it can be the most beautiful person in the world. But if you have low self-esteem, low self-worth, now we know that childhood trauma, a lot of those different things. And I was an alcoholic by the time I'm 13. Do you think that, you know, how, how did that happen? But somewhere along the journey, You lose the power of choice and the chemicals in your brain change, right? So now we finally recognize, and I didn't believe this when I first got sober and clean, that it was a disease. Now there's no doubt in my mind that addiction is a disease. The brain chemicals, they've done research that the brain chemicals change and you lose the power of choice. It's not lack of moral fiber, why we do all the things we do. You get to voice... You get to a point where the chemicals have changed in your brain. Now it's a necessity, and you really get trapped where you cannot see a way out. You know, for me, I'm getting raped down in the street. I'm getting beat down. Do you think that I wanted more of that? Of course not. But I didn't see any way out. I was so chemically dependent on the alcohol. If I didn't get alcohol in me, I would shake out of my skin and be so sick. And so that's, you know, the op- op- opioid epidemic and heroin and, and painkillers, it's the same thing. I mean, when you try to stop using, you, I mean, your brain goes crazy, your body goes crazy, you're shaking, it's out of control, and it's very scary. And the disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And it's not just getting the drink out of somebody's hand or the pipe or the pill When you do that, then you're left with this messed up brain that's telling you you need to use again. And your body is telling you you need to use again. And it is uh, horrific. And that's why I said the mental, spiritual, and physical. The physical part is the easiest part because now our brain chemistry has changed and our brain keeps telling us that we need to use, that we need to do this. And so we got to change all of that, too. So they're getting getting the drug out of the system is kind of the easiest, although that's very frightening for a lot of people. But, you know, I say when people have a sibling or loved one that has an addiction, you know, to continue to pray for them, prayer is powerful. And sometimes that's all we got. If our loved one's out in the street, getting high, we don't know what's going on with them. Prayer is powerful. And, you know, I think another thing that needs to be said is that none of us with addictions had have health care or insurance, few, very few. And so I think it's a blessing to know that there's a place that they can come where they don't need, you know, treatment centers are what, $50,000, $90,000. You know, I don't think, Any family should take all their savings or put their house in mortgage or anything to send their loved one to a high-priced treatment center. There's help right here in our city that's basically free to get your loved one in it, and we're going to help them. And I think um, a lot of people, and talking, you have to talk. You know, you have to quit being the family of secrets. People, for some reason, have always viewed, if they have an addict in their family, that it's an embarrassment to their family. I know my mom did. My mom told her friends, uh, for, I must have had the flu for 20 years. You know what I'm
0: saying? <laughs> <laughs>
1: my mom told her, oh, sissy. And then she'd tell people, oh, sissy got in a wreck. No, sissy was drunker than Hooters food. Wrecking into stuff is the truth, but you know, it was an embarrassment to her that I was this addict and alcoholic. I was an embarrassment to my family. So we didn't talk about it. Yeah. And today, you know, uh, as I proceeded in my journey, my brothers, I have two older brothers. And it was amazing to me because my brothers would call me and say, sis, can you pray about this? Will you pray about this? And then at any family gatherings, they would say, sis, you want to lead the prayer? And I became somehow along the journey, I became the spiritual uh, reference in our family that if somebody needed prayer, they would call me. And that was just amazing because I had always marked myself as the black sheep. And many people in recovery do that. But I'm not the black sheep. And uh, I do have value in my family. Um, You know, all that has came back in my life.
0: Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. Uh, And I don't mean to make you feel like you're going to have to call somebody out, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to do so. Um, Certainly Healing House is not the only organization that is helping people. uh helping people who are at their lowest spot and maybe in in many many cases don't literally don't have any other place to go right um there are hundreds of churches across kansas city there are hundreds thousands of people of faith across kansas city and i'm not just talking about christianity i'm talking um, all of all the this is as i've talked about this is this we've done more than half a dozen or more than a dozen episodes that we've talked to people from the jewish faith people from the islamic faith this is this is not just a a christian-based discussion yes the question is do you feel like um churches houses of worship people of faith that are not specifically tied to an organization like yours um could be doing more than what, than what they're doing right now to help people.
1: Absolutely. I think that uh, I noticed during COVID um, when it was really hitting hard, uh, a lot of the shelters closed their doors. Right. And uh, that's something I'm really proud of, God, that that the people here, the people that work here are so sold out that they kept showing up to work because the people never quit coming that they were at our doors and we just rolled with it. I think, um, I remember years ago, President Bush started a faith-based initiative and it was great and it allowed churches and um, organizations that were kind of doing outreach to have more resources. Well, everybody got excited and there were some people, people of faith and pastors, and they started like getting these houses in the inner city and man, they would throw some mattresses on the floor and, you know, get cheap paint for somewhere and throw paint on it, mattresses on the floor, crappy furniture in it. And because they had the mindset, well, this is so much better than this person being on the street. Does God call us? God doesn't call us to give people junk, right? Yeah. God calls uh, calls us to give that person the best we got. And so those pastors that were doing that, they got in trouble and it was a good thing because God doesn't call us to give people our trash. Um, I think uh, working with people with addiction, if faith ministries need to talk to some of us that have overcome though, because you can be manipulated fairly easy people we learn. In our addiction, we learn to manipulate people. That's just what we do. It's been a necessity to survive. So they need to have uh, some knowledge of people that are early in addiction and some of the behaviors they do. But I think that, yes, I believe there's all kinds of ways we can help. And you know what? If if You're a ministry or a church that is not connected. Sometimes you have to partner. We partner with several churches in town because we are recovery. We get it. And so we have these partner churches that help us at different times with different projects because they know they can't do that. They let us do what we do, right? Because they're like, okay, we're we're unknowledge. We don't have the knowledge about this stuff to help people effectively. So they give them to us and let us do what we do. Um, Yes, I I think we should be helping people, all of us. And this is, you know, I, I always have a problem with people just loving the people in their circle. You know, that's comfortable to love people in your circle. But what does Christ tell us? Christ tells us it's not just about serving, you know, your people in your circle. He said, you know, when you serve this person, this the guy that got jumped on the side of the road, when you serve him, you're serving me. And, um, you know, I used to be that person laying on the side of the street when you drive downtown. I was that person crumpled on the side of the road that you drove past. That was me. And I wasn't there because I wanted to be. I was there because I had a deadly disease that was killing me, and I didn't see any way out.
0: We started this conversation, and I, Bobby, I, I could talk to you all day, uh, and I won't take up all your time because you've got, you know, pipes to fix and that kind of thing. Um, we started this conversation with me asking you what faith is. Um, I wanted. to wrap it up a little bit by asking you um and i know that your your entire life is is an example of an answer to this question but what what can faith do
1: everything anything what is what is what are we told you can move a mountain with your faith right uh i know for a fact i would not this healing house wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here, Not, the thousands of people would, it was all faith, it was all a faith journey, and I know everything is possible through Christ, I, I totally get it, he, can, he took me, and made me that I could help all these people, and to me, that's just, it blows me out of the water, I know through him, all things are possible, all things, and I trust in that every day of my life. And I believe it.
0: What are you uh, what are you praying right now for yourself and for Healing House and for the community? What what, what prayers could you share with us right now of what you pray on a regular basis?
1: I always pray for the Lord to use me in a powerful way every day. Um, I quit wearing a watch uh, 20 years ago because I'm on God's time, not mine, not on the world's, I'm on God's time. Uh, I pray for a hedge of protection around my family. I also have been praying for this movie that it gets seen by the people that need to see it, because I think it's going to change people's lives. It's going to change their heart. It's going to stir up a passion in people that they want to do more. You know, I hope that by my life, people can sit there and, you know, we, we get in a mindset of woe is me, you know, average people, we get this woe is me. And the bottom line is, is that maybe through this movie, you're going to see, yeah, I, I don't have it so bad after all, right? And be pushed to do more in their life. I just, you know, and I thank God every day for what he does for me and all my kids here and just being the awesome, merciful God that he is.
0: Well, on behalf of every average person out there, please do not call yourself an average person ever again. Please don't (laughs) ever, ever do that again. As we wrap up, um, if people want to, one, see the movie, yes, and two, help Healing House, what what can they do for either of those things?
1: Okay, Healing House is www.healinghousekc.org. And then the movie is at, you can go uh, to, it's the Bobby Joe movie. Um, there's a Facebook and there's a page. You can go to that. You can click right on that link to view the movie. I do want to say this, uh, you know, about the first 25, 30 minutes of the movie it's pretty hard to listen to. It's rough.
0: It is rough. Yeah. Uh,
1: and it's very emotional. But I want people to hang in there because I promise you that once you get through that, you're going to see God's glory and all its magnificence and you're going to feel that hope and it's going to spring up inside you. So don't get bogged down in the beginning, but I, need, I needed to share my truth so we can see just how good our God is.
0: Well, Bobby Joe, I have seen the first 45 minutes, and I feel like uh, I I, I can't wait to watch the rest of the 45 minutes, but I feel like I got a really good preview of it right here in this conversation. So thank (laughs) you so, so much for your time and for sharing your story, for what you're doing. Thank you.
1: Amen. God bless you. Thank you for having me.